Father, in light of last week and in light of what the children were hearing this morning, please make us mindful of the reality of the battle that we're in as we seek to live for you. The reality of spiritual opposition. And yet the reality too of your power. Might we look to Christ this morning? And might you help us? Help me as I preach and help us as we all listen and with your help seek to obey. And be at work, we pray. Amen. Um, two things before we begin. first one to say is, um, as well as having a world mission postcard, you also have a postcard that goes with this series there, like London buses, wait for ages, and then you get two postcards at once. So um, can I encourage you to take this with you, to pop it in your Bible, to stick it on your fridge, that kind of thing, and to be a, a family, a church together that seeks to, to pray this prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us. And on the back there are some lines and spaces where perhaps you want to write people within this room or within this church that we would be praying for each other as we seek to grow in our prayer lives um, as a church family together. Um, and the second thing to say is that this, this series is genuinely not meant to be a guilt trip. I feel we need to say that. Um, people say there are few easier ways to make a, a room of Western Christians feel guilty or embarrassed than to, to ask them to talk about their prayer lives. And frankly, that might be true. The figures don't make for brilliant reading. Studies show that the average Christian, on average, prays for five minutes a day. The thing is, though, we know that prayer is vital. We know it's important. The Bible teaches it again and again and again. We have sermons on it, like Andy from last week. We, we sing about it, and we'll sing in a bit. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And we know it from experience, don't we? When we pray, life with God is easier in some sense. Our perspectives are more in line with him. The scary things of life are just a bit dwarfed by him. So why don't we do it more? Very briefly, because I don't want to focus in too much on this. And we don't need to be guilty because Christ has redeemed us, because we are in him. We don't need to be proud if we're good at praying, because our identity is found in Christ. But why don't we pray m more? Four things, perhaps, just to perhaps help us diagnose a bit more of this. Um, maybe they resonate with you, um, they resonate with me. The first one is, I think we're practical atheists. We've, we've swallowed the lie that what we see is really all that matters. The tangible things of life are the things that dominate us in our weeks, which means we can easily forget God. I remember speaking to a friend who, who said, I'm scared by the way I can get to the end of my day at work and suddenly realize I've not thought about God for the last eight hours. And, and I resonate with that in some sense. We can't see him. He's out of sight and so too easily he's out of mind. Secondly, we're proud. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden and we think we can do it better by ourselves and we don't really need him. We can do life without God, as the disciples last week, as our, our kids lot this week. 
And we sort of tut at the disciples and then realize we're tutting at ourselves. Thirdly, we're too busy. Isn't life hectic? We run from one thing to the next, one meeting to the next. Our evenings are full. We're late to bed. We sleep through the alarm clock and the day begins again. And we're always catching up. And fourthly, we're, we're distracted and we're ill-disciplined. That is, we never switch off. Our, our phones are in our hands and we've got these notifications coming through again and again. And someone's texted me and it's a calendar and it's a WhatsApp message. And we've got life pouring in on us. With a Duracell bunny, we keep going and going and going. And then we crash for the night, we recharge our batteries and it starts again. And there's no space. We're distracted and ill-disciplined. And I know there are many more. It is a spiritual battle. We don't quite know where to start as we pray. The duvet is hard to defeat, isn't it? Maybe there are other physical or mental issues making it hard for us to pray. It is hard, but where do we find help? Well, hopefully this series will give us some pointers with that. I take it we find help in the one who prayed. We look to Jesus. Hectic life. Overfull diary. And yet again and again and again he excuses himself. Finds somewhere quiet and he prays. And he gets busy and he prays more. Jesus is the one we need to listen to. It said that the the Lord's prayer comes from the Lord of prayer. And so for the plan for this series for the next three weeks is to sit with his disciples at his feet and to learn the basics again. I think that learn word is really important because so often we think we'll just sort of slide into prayer. We'll just absorb it and get it. And yet there's a sense in which it's not natural. It, it needs to be taught and learnt. It's something we can grow in and develop in. Whether that's for the first time, maybe you're new here, maybe you would call yourself a Christian, maybe you're not sure. Maybe you've been here for decades. Well, so we still come as learners to grow as we pray. Some of you will have heard of the golfer Jack Nicklaus. He dominated the golfing world for three decades. Brilliant. 20 major victories, 71 PGA Tour wins. One of only five players ever to have won all four major tournaments. And yet I was struck by his, his relationship with golf. Clearly a brilliant man. But he was mentored from 1950 by a man called Jack Grout. And apparently at the start of each new season, he would come back before his mentor and review his game right down to the very basics. He would come back to the beginning again. A brilliant golfer, and yet he would relearn it. At the height of his fame and his success, he he would say, teach me how to play golf. Well, so we're coming back to Christ, and we're saying, Lord, teach us to pray. We never grow out of needing the fundamentals again, the basics again. And we'll see as we look at the Lord's Prayer, I think it's both a a model prayer for us, but it's a pattern for prayer too, particularly. It's shallow enough for a child to splash around in, but it's, it's deep enough for a lifetime of prayer for the seasoned saint. We never grow on from the Lord's Prayer. Have a glance down in your Bibles, please. I'm just going to give you a bit of context from verse 
uh, 5 through to 8. I'm not going to say too much because if you're interested, come on an evening and Andy will be taking us through the rest of chapter 6. But I want to just point out one given and two don'ts as we look at this for our context before we get into the prayer itself. I'm going to read verse 5 to 8 to us. One given and two don'ts. Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. See the one given? The one given is we're to be a people who pray. You see verse 5, start of verse 5, start of verse 6, start of verse 7. When you pray. And that ought not to jump out at us. But I wonder if it does. Because Jesus says prayer is a given, or at least prayer ought to be a given. But I wonder, as Andy was teaching us last week, particularly for for Western Christians who are far too comfortable, whether prayer is not a given. If being a Christian is about being in a relationship, then in any relationship, we know to a greater or lesser degree, we, we need to communicate, we need to talk. And so the first given then is Jesus says, when you pray. But then a couple of don'ts. Jesus knows the reality of our sinful hearts. He knows that we can even warp prayer. Sin can even infect how we pray. It can serve self. And so firstly, don't care so much about the externals. Don't care about the image that you, you portray to others so much. Don't show off in your prayers. Don't try and impress people. Don't try and make them feel small or second rate or unimpressive because that's what the hypocrites do, says Jesus. That's, that's the Pharisees. Don't try and impress other people. But then don't try and impress God either, secondly. Don't babble on and on and on with, with mindless, meaningless repetition. Don't try and twist God's arm when you pray. That's what the pagans do when they pray. No, no, you're coming to your father. They might have disengaged minds and hearts, mantras that they believe will twist their God's arm, but that's not for the Christian. There are two dangers before we jump in. Don't try and impress others. Don't try and impress God. Don't Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a pagan. But do pray like this. Come and pray to your father. And it's a minor thing, but he doesn't say, did you notice, he doesn't say, this is what you should pray. Verse 9, he says, this is how you should pray. And I wonder if that's important. The irony is, having just said, don't babble on like the pagans in thoughtless mantras, so easily the Lord's Prayer can become that, can't it? Isn't that extraordinary? It was my personal experience. I... It was almost treated as something magical and powerful at my primary school. I I say I was taught the Lord's Prayer at primary school. I was never really taught it. It wasn't ever explained to me. 
I could parrot it off with the best of them. I didn't understand it. I made mistakes until I was about 13. I, I could have sworn it was Halloween thy name, which confused me, but that's what everyone else was saying. Then I was about 13 and I realised I'd slightly missed the point. It's a little distinction, but it's a useful one. It's not what you should pray, but how you should pray. It's a pattern. He's giving us the priorities, the attitudes, the mindset we ought to have as we pray. And of course, we can pray it as a model, and we will do that after I finish speaking. There's nothing magic about it. Before we get into the how to pray, which we'll do the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend our time this morning simply looking at the phrase, Our Father in Heaven. Looking at who we pray to. I wonder, reflecting on these, these words this, this, this last week or two, whether for many of us our failure to pray fundamentally comes from a misunderstanding of, of these first two words even. Someone said, real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. My prayer this week that we might grasp afresh for the, for the first time or the umpteenth time whom we're praying to and how incredible he is. That we would learn afresh how to pray. That we would see that praying is, is in one sense not a, not a religious thing but a relational thing. You see, the way we speak to someone, the way we address someone shows our relationship with them. That's true in our daily relationships. I've got family members who, slightly bizarrely at the moment, are having opportunities to meet royalty. And I'm told that etiquette states that if you meet the Queen, there are six golden rules that you are to abide by. First one, you are to make a small curtsy or a bow or a nod. Secondly, you are to politely shake the Queen's hand if you're offered. Thirdly, you wait for Her Majesty to address you. Fourthly, you address her as your majesty for the first time and then ma'am, fifthly, from then on. And sixthly, you don't ask personal questions. You see, the way we address someone depends upon our relationship with them. Or, or there's only one person in this congregation whom I would call my love. And if I start to bandy that title around too freely, you have every right to be concerned Actually, she's in crash, so. <laughs> you can call me to account. The way we address someone depends upon our relationship with them. It's true in relationships, it's true in world religions as well. People of different world religions pray in very different ways because of the way they understand the God whom they are praying to or gods whom they are praying to. Muslims will repeat ritual prayers five times a day. Hindus will speak mantras to an icon of their god or their gods. Buddhists will meditate silently upon the divine inside themselves. And so as Jesus says, pray to our Father. That's extraordinary. The way we address someone depends upon our relationship with them. And the word he uses for Father, Abba, which many of you will have heard of or sung about, it carries both the ideas of respect and honour, and yet beautifully there's a tenderness and an intimacy. 
It's more respectful than daddy, and yet it's more intimate than father. And yet we get familiar with it, and so we lose how outrageous that name is. The creator of the universe, the the sovereign lord, the omnipotent ruler, the judge of the world. And Jesus says, give or take, you can call him dad. Abba. And it's not just that Jesus, the eternal son of God, calls him Abba. He's, He's telling his disciples to as well. This is a model for us. It's a theme that's developed in the New Testament. His disciples, those who repent of their sins, who trust Christ, who seek to follow him, are described as being children of God. Those born of God, John 3. Those adopted by God, Romans 8. Those who, because of Christ, have an inheritance, Romans 8. Those who have the Spirit and so cry, Abba, Father, Galatians 4. And and maybe even Hebrews 12. Those who are loved by their Father and so are disciplined. And yet it's something of a tightrope as we think of God as Father. This intimacy and this respect so easily get skewed. There's an intimacy and a closeness, yet that should never creep into familiarity or irreverence, as if he's our mate in some sense, as if we're equals even in some sense. And there's a respect and an honour and an awe, but that shouldn't creep into distance or remoteness. He's not aloof or uncaring. He's our father. Easily we get that tightrope wrong, don't we? We drift either way. It's probably right at this point just to put into a lay-by for a moment and just think about this, this language of father. Because no doubt for some of us that will be difficult. It may bring up all kinds of bad memories, all kinds of associations, all kinds of problems. In fact, some people might say, well, if if God is like my father, I'm, I'm not interested, thanks. Maybe your earthly father simply wasn't there for you. He was absent. And so you think of God as being absent. Maybe he was unreasonable. So you think of God as being unreasonable. Maybe he was unreliable. So you think, is God unreliable? Maybe even he was mean, he was unkind, maybe even abusive. And so you're thinking, is that, is that what God is like? And yet if I can put it this way, and I say it carefully and humbly, I wonder if often the reason we get angry about absent, unreasonable, unreliable, mean fathers. It's because there's something in us, something fundamental in us that knows that's not what our fathers are meant to be like. Because God the Father made the world and and fundamentally and foundationally we were made to know him. And so when our earthly fathers are imperfect, which they always will be, when we realise they don't reflect God as Father, we know there is something profoundly wrong. It's not the way the world is meant to be. And it sounds a bit cheesy. But I think I need to say, he is the Father whom you have always longed for. He is the Father, perhaps, that you still long for. So friends, Morden Road, don't let your experience of your earthly father rob you of the reality of your heavenly father. 
Go to him, speak to him, tell him. Ask him even to help you love him as your father in heaven. And it would be remiss of me not to say, but if that is a particular thing for particular people in this room, it would be a very difficult thing. Can I urge you to be brave and chat to someone this week? Maybe come and chat to me afterwards, or chat to Andy, or speak about it in home group. Jesus is very clear that we refer to him, we relate to him as our Father in heaven. It's a relationship. It's a relational thing rather than a religious thing. It's not a business relationship. Often we can think of God as our boss. And the problem is, however well you get on with your employer, your boss... They're still your employer and we're still their employee and we make a big enough mistake and the P45 is coming our way. And it's game over. Thanks very much. Find a new place to work. We'll write you an okay reference. But God is our father. It's permanent. He's committed. He loves us. And whether we do well or whether we muck up, we we don't have to try and impress him and earn his love. And that idea of God as Father, you may know, floods the Sermon on the Mount. Fifteen times it comes through it. Let me just read a few for us. We see what it means to relate to God as Father, at least in one sense. So Matthew 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 5, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've already seen 6 verse 6 to 8. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 6 verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not not much more valuable than they? 7.11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Striking, as you see what it means for God to be Father, there is both the serious challenge of living a life for your Father in heaven, like your Father in heaven. But also the encouragement. A Father, he knows what you need. He knows what you need before you ask him. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And so we're to be a people who pray to our Father. The, um, the author, Jim Packer, who many of you will have heard of, puts it like this. He says, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. This is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life. It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. It's striking, isn't it? Jim Packer says this concept of God as Father is completely fundamental 
or what it means to be a Christian. Of course, that's just one word. That was just Father. Crucially, it's our Father. And this matters. We've said already that increasingly our culture is is more and more and more individualistic, where self-rules, where it's all about me. Partly that's the general outworking of a world that's walked out on God, but particularly it's true at the moment as well in the West. One psychologist puts it like this. He talks about individualism. He says, In the past quarter century, events occurred that so weakened our commitment to larger entities as to leave us almost naked before the ordinary assaults of life. Where can one now turn for identity, for purpose, for hope? When we need spiritual furniture, we look around and see all the comfortable leather sofas and stuffed chairs have been removed, and all that's left to sit on is a small, frail folding chair. The self. You see, he looks around our culture, around our society, and sees this this turning away from corporate, from togetherness, Highlighting individualism, and the danger with that is, I'm not up to being the answer to my own problems. Being sat on a small, frail, folding chair, the self is not going to be great for the long term. We can't do it. And so Jesus says to us, you pray our Father. You're part of a larger entity. You're part of a family. It's not the Father. As if God is unrelated to you in some sense, but together we pray to our Father as a family. There's a corporate thing. It's not even my Father which guards us from being prone to selfish praying. Friends, I'm afraid your Christian life is not just about you and God. It cannot be. It was never meant to be. Look around you. Look around you. He is our Father together. In a fortnight we'll be looking at the, um, the kind of final half of the prayer and Jesus will not teach us to pray, give me today my daily bread. But he'll teach us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He won't say, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. But he will say, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sinned against us. He won't say, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, but lead us, deliver us. But I wonder if most of the times when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray it as an individualistic prayer, where I'm at the centre. It's a prayer we pray together. It would be a nonsense for us to pray for daily bread and for me to get what I need and I've got bread coming out of my ears and you haven't. I'm sorry. Hard lines. No, no, we're a family. As we pray it together, that's how families work. We share. We have a responsibility. Our really matters. It ties us to everyone else. It changes how we think of being a Christian. And so we pray to our Father. It's why corporate prayer meetings are so important. We're not going to bang that drum just yet, but watch out in the next couple of weeks. We're going to relaunch first Tuesdays in October, which will include some food and have more of an opportunity to to be together and to worship and to spend time together as well as praying to our Father. You'll hear about that in a bit. So our Father, 
in heaven will be much quicker. The fact that our Father is in heaven is such amazing news. Because in part it means he is in the place where he reigns and he rules. That is, he is the one who is able to answer prayer. He is at the center of the universe. He is in charge. He is in heaven. He is infinitely powerful. Psalm 115 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. He reigns and he rules. Do you see, if it was just our Father, hallowed be your name, then maybe we don't know whether he can answer our prayers. He's a father, that's great, but does he just have a good listening ear? Is he the kind of father who always has time for us, the kind of father who who really cares, but when it comes down to it, he's a bit useless. He can't actually help that much. No, he's our father in heaven. He rules and he reigns. He's not just willing, but he's able to answer prayers. Nothing is impossible for him. And and if that's right, if if, if it's part of his will, then that prayer that you are praying, that prayer perhaps that you keep coming back to, that you're persistent in, if if it's part of his will, he can answer it. He is able to answer. Because he is the one in heaven. But he's in heaven, which also means he is holy and he is pure and he is set apart and he is different. He is so good. Which is refreshing because so often these days when we think of power, we think of corruption. Most, news, most weeks, most news cycles, there will be a story about someone else who has abused power. A politician who fiddles expenses, a managing director who has milked a company for all he can and then has left. A CEO who has acted improperly. And the details have been covered up. People do not cope well with power. Power easily corrupts. Sinful hearts struggle with power and authority. And yet our Father in heaven, he reigns and he rules, but he is incorruptible. We can trust him. He is so powerful. But he is so good. So good. One of my favourite iconic photos of history helps me in a way to try and get my head around something of these first four words um, from this morning. And it's this. See that? I hope it's not irreverent. But here we have President Kennedy, JFK, arguably at the time the, the most powerful man on the planet at least in human terms, the President of the United States. And yet what do you see? Who do you see underneath his desk? His son, John F. Kennedy Jr. Isn't that beautiful? That just captures just a a glimpse, at least, of something that we've seen as we start this Lord's Prayer series. Our God is so powerful, so very powerful, he, he rules and he reigns. He is able, he is good, and yet we have this incredible privilege. We have this privilege of coming before him as father. So 
someone's put it, who is the one person who can wake up the king at 3 a.m.? The king's son. His child. And so let's pray. Do grab your postcard and we'll start off by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Let me urge you not to babble on like pagans, but to engage, to pray, rather than simply saying words. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, and so we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the extraordinary privilege of prayer. We thank you that we can come to you as, as Father, the one who loves his children, Thank you that you are our Father and we come to you together. Thank you that you're in heaven. Thank you that you are in the place of of power, the place where you reign and you rule and yet the place of purity. Thank you that you are so good. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you are not corrupted by your power. My Father, we pray for ourselves as individuals and we pray for us as a church that we might be a church increasingly who turn to you and to pray. In our daily living, might we be a people increasingly who pray. In your Son's name, Amen.